When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This year marks 25 years since the founding of the band New Radicals, who would go on to release You Get What You Give and Someday We'll Know. I spoke to frontman Greg Alexander in 2015 about his Oscar-nominated song Lost Stars from the movie Begin Again. Hey, Greg, nice to meet you. This is Jason Fraley with WTOP Radio in Washington, D.C. How are you? Doing good, doing good. How are you doing, Jason? Very good. Thanks for joining me. Um, My pleasure. All right, let's move a little chronologically through this, if you don't mind. I remember being in eighth grade when all of a sudden the radio uh, hits this new song by the New Radicals. Never heard of them before, and afterwards I had to immediately get that song. You get what you give. Um, before we move on to Begin Again, you, any thoughts back on that song and where you were in the time of your life and why you decided to, to uh, dissolve the band just a year after that hit? Yeah, gosh. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, good times. I mean, I look back on it very fondly. I think maybe, you know, there was a part of me was maybe more cut out for, you know, I like being in the studio and creating and doing all that stuff. And I, I like playing live, but, I, like, it wasn't, like, uh, something I felt I I had to do, you know. Like, sometimes you, you kind of have to do something, like a cook that has to get into the kitchen and start cooking. I kind of, I have to get in the studio or get a guitar in my hands and start writing songs. But as much as I like going on stage, it's like I didn't have, like, that primal, primal urge you know so maybe that was just part of it you know you decided to move on and do some other stuff um you want a grammy as a songwriter right for santana and michelle branch yeah yeah i sure did yep absolutely yep yeah yeah that was really nice yeah no she was the third person that starts that sang it uh tina turner sang it she was fantastic but i think she was maybe taking a little break at the time and then macy gray gave it a shot but i think maybe she um you know, had a you know changed the melodies and kind of took it to a uh, a different place that was really cool, but maybe not, um, maybe didn't follow the melodies the way that Michelle did. So maybe it had a little bit more of a uh, '70s soul vibe with Macy singing it, and then Michelle's version was just like the uh, a little bit more like the Carpenters or something. So I guess. Uh, uh, the, the powers that be went with the Carpenters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a superstar. Um, and that, that song was called The Game of Love, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, Jason. Yep. Uh-huh. Gotcha. All right, so we're moving through time here. And now today with Begin Again, how did you get involved with director John Carney? Did you see the movie once, his previous movie, or how, how did that come about? Well, yeah, I, I'd been aware of his previous work and stuff, but it was really a, a phone call I received that I thought was maybe a prank phone call at first. I got a phone call. <laughs> Uh, California time. It was like in the morning, if I remember correctly, with this Irish accent going, hello, is this Greg Alexander? And 
Oh, I thought it was a. Um, I thought maybe they, I worked with an Irish artist, this guy named Ronan Keating, and we had a couple hits in Europe with. And I thought maybe it was him or one of his cousins playing a prank phone call on me. I was like, Ronan, come on, cut the crap. And then finally, uh, he goes, Oh no, he goes, he goes, Oh, I got your phone number from from a guy named Simon and a guy named Bono. And then I thought it was definitely a prank call. <laughs> but then I, I, I know him kind of peripherally. I know, you know, I know, uh, you know, the Irish uh, Godfather, lovely guy, and uh, kind of have known him a bit through the years. It turned out he'd, um, him and his friend Simon had given my phone number to John. And I, uh, once I realized that it was not a prank phone call, uh, although I'm prone to sometimes talking on prank phone calls for a half hour just to go with it, you know, pretend <laughs> it's like a little bit of a surreal uh, stream of consciousness thing. But anyway, uh, in all seriousness, we uh, started talking about film and music, and uh, we ended up uh, being on the phone for about an hour and a half just kind of talking about um, this script that he'd written, which at the time was called Can a Song Save Your Life? So he sent out the script, and I uh, loved it. And I was like, oh, gosh, let's uh, let's jump in. So we really it started a journey of just, like, writing songs and sending over songs and him tweaking on things and changing things around. It was a real uh, kind of like a real back and forth, real uh, a real um, almost like a uh, – like I was on the moon and he was on the earth, he was on earth and we were like sending like these smoke signals and songs and then we finally met up and uh, and met in person and um and that was when it really kind of really seemed to cement was when it became a little bit more face to face and real because before that it was just kind of like uh, telephone calls and working on songs and you never really know until you meet somebody like if it's uh, you know if they're serious about it and I knew John's work from once but uh he was uh, very uh, focused on making a great film so that was uh, an inspiring reason to to jump on board when we finally met as well. Uh, do you remember where that meeting was and, and you know, the specifics of how that how that went down? Yeah, oddly enough, no one's ever asked me that. Yeah, you know, oddly enough, well, uh, good. <laughs> we, there's a studio called Air Studios in uh, London. It's in North London, kind of near Camden. And um, we uh, actually met and went into the uh, studio. We went into the studio and just kind of like uh, – uh, played a bunch of music and we just walked around London for a couple hours, just kind of like talking and stopping and get, having a couple cups of coffee. And by the time, uh, after a couple of cups of coffee, this mad Irishman and this mad uh, guy from Detroit, that being me, kind of had, you know, concocted this crazy idea of like, you know, just different, uh, you know, different visions for how um, the whole thing could come together. You know, the the um, the script, the music, the casting, everything. It was it was fun. It was very collaborative and very exciting and. Uh, a good, uh, you know, good experience. I think coming from the music world to to jump into the music world into uh, a film project with a director that has such a strong point of view and has a a strong passion for music was a you know an exciting thing, as it were. You know. And I'm sure your uh, your your conversation got faster and more rapid the more cups of coffee you had. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen by the time we upgraded to the heavy stuff, you know. <laughs> Jittery stars was the alternate title. Yeah, 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 that was the original <laughs> title. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You got the shakes. Um, <laughs> um, what's it right? So I assume this is this was your first time working on a movie. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had songs licensed in films, which that, I don't know if your listeners are familiar. Just like we're like. You know, someone will call and say, you know, Joe Schmo is making a, a big star movie, and, you know, will you put our song in it? And we got, you know, $5 to pay. And you're like, well, how about 500 And they're like, oh, okay. No, I mean, like, you know, it's just this process. You know, because you're kind of like a bit in the uh, in in that lane and know kind of how the process goes. Is there a certain song of yours that, that people request the most for the licensing? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, well, certainly, I mean, God knows out of the new Radical stuff, Jason, people tend to really, of course, you know, like... Uh, 
you get what you give. And um, speaking of the film thing, because I know that's what you mentioned after about a second ago, that I, how I've been involved with films before was just. Fortunately, there has been a, a, a nice, friendly contingency of like creative people, like music supervisors or sure. directors that have maybe look back fondly on that song. So I've had songs like from the New Radicals or different stuff in a lot of films, but this was the first time I'd actually written something specifically to order for a film, and that's what made it different. It kind of really what made it more uh, creatively compelling and more interesting as an artist, you know. Now, you, you wrote the... Uh... Tell me if it's correct. I believe I see you, you wrote both the musical score, you know, the instrumental thing, and also, you know, a bunch of songs from the movie, because I've seen the movie. Um, talk about what it's like writing the musical score first, and then we'll go into some of the songs. What's it like composing that uh, as opposed to writing music for just a music album? Well, I don't know. That's interesting, because I'm, I'm not really the most... Uh like classically trained or well-versed in terms of all the vernacular, the different, uh, the roles or hats that maybe people have. Like I didn't really even understand until I got on the set exactly what's the range of what a music supervisor does or that sort of stuff because it's kind of outside of my realm of expertise. So right. what I did uh, and how it transpired with this project was just writing a whole bunch of songs. And then the score came together in so much as my songs are used as that they're they're used throughout the film as needed. So we had parts and we have what they might call uh, stems like cuz uh, you know all these uh you know, the the engineers like to put things into, like, Pro Tools and all these technical things. I like kind of old tape, like stuff from, like, the 1960s right. and the 70s, like the old 24-track machines. But everything's digital now. So a lot of how that came together, Jason, was just cutting longer versions of the, of the songs. We'd have shorter versions. We'd have certain things where there'd be the instruments. The instruments would play and ad-lib things, and then there'd be versions that were a little bit more sped up. And, and then what ended up happening by hook or by crook is, over the course of this particular film, the songs and the different arrangements of them were just used throughout in so much as that which you might call a score. What it wasn't was is kind of like the way that maybe like somebody like Hans Zimmer might get hired to score a film and he'll come in and watch a film after the fact and add all these things. This was, I think, maybe a unique process in the sense that most all of the music was recorded and written and um, put, you know, committed to tape before uh, a, a note, before even one shot of the film was done. Ah, gotcha. It wasn't like scenes were up on screen and you were writing the songs to those. It was pretty much the opposite way. You you would come up with a bunch of songs and then did he doctor the script based on that or what's the order? Well, yeah, no. I mean, it's it, interestingly enough, I have a hard time writing songs for anyone else to sing. So, like, I have a my process is just always trying to write the best song possible. But this one, no matter how it happens, but this happened a little bit differently because I did read the script first. But yeah, I would, in fact, no, I did not do anything where I was watching something on the screen and then trying to create new music for it. Although that would be kind of a, I, I, I'm sure that would be a challenge. I mean, there's a lot of guys that do that, like Mark Mothersbaugh, and, right. and um, I guess Trent Reznor does that now too, doesn't he? Sure. How does the script, like if, if I'm sitting down reading the script, how does that appear? Do your, are your lyrics actually in there in like a, a, you know, a movie about music like this? Or is it just say your t song title, insert here kind of a thing? You know, I, the thing that's interesting about John is he's a very fluid collaborator. So, you know, he, his, his approach was the best song wins. If there's something that's really compelling or interesting, maybe we'll change things around to make it fit to make the film fit the song or to make whatever scene or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, uh, come together as needed. So that was a little bit more 
What was your? I missed the heart of the question, though. What can you repeat? Oh, the I just, uh, yeah. The heart of the question was just how how it appears in the script. Does does John? Because um, obviously you guys collaborated throughout. Does John Carney write your you know the song title? You know, insert oh, God, this song no, here. Oh God, no, no, okay. nothing like that. I mean, you know, not that there'd be anything wrong with that, but I think one of the things that was. Uh, Maybe more uh, one of the things that was exciting and more compelling about like doing this versus say for instance if somebody said do you want to do a film about dog catchers was is that there seemed to be a lot of uh, room to uh, to move and to to ad lib on stuff so John just kind of, the original script versus where it was when it finally was uh, shot is substantially changed if my memory serves. So I do think that that's a, a testament to the fact that, you know, he, he is a fluid collaborator and that his uh, process is not, you know, stymied. You know, he's open to, to, to trying things, or if he hears something that inspires him, he'll he'll uh, tweak it accordingly and stuff like that. You know, which is actually kind of a musician's uh, perspective in terms of even music making. I think maybe if you're in the studio with a band, you know, if the bass player comes up with a cool line, you change it, and then pretty soon you have a you know, you never know where the best idea is going to come yeah. from. Sure. No, and, and well, maybe that's why you guys work together because he kind of approaches it from that you know musical aspect. Um, let's talk about a song. Let's talk about Lost Stars. That's kind of the big one on this album. So big, in fact, that it got bumped up to the number one slot on this uh, CD. It's not exactly chronologically how the movie is. It's the but I can tell it's a big song. That's why it's first. Oh, what CD is that? That sounds really interesting. What is that? Oh, I got I just got a a bunch of film critic associations that I'm involved in. They send out copies of various promotional materials, and it's just the Begin Again soundtrack. Lost Stars is the first song on the thing by Adam Levine, but obviously that appears later in the movie. So I just thought it was interesting that it's first on the on the album here. But anyway, yeah, I want to talk about Lost Stars a little bit. Describe the moment that that song came to you. What was the inspiration for that particular one? Well, gosh, you know, thank you, by the way. Thanks for pointing that out. That's a, we're, we're, As songwriters, we're thrilled that your dream is to always be first song, side one. So anytime that <laughs> happens, it's like that's like the coolest thing on the planet. Well, there it, really it is. is. Like, really, never, you never get bored of that. That's so exciting. Um, yeah, gosh, well, I, we and we were in London, you know, me and the, the folks that uh, worked on the song, and it started snowing, and it was, like, really nasty weather, and, like, uh, Danielle had flown out, and she brought out her husband, and everybody was a little bit, like, antsy, like, oh, my God, we thought it was going to be, you know, like an early spring out here, and, like, instead it's freezing. And so we just, on a whim, like, just decided to go down to the south of Spain and just... Um, really uh, was just kind of ruminating on life and kind of feeling in, like in this new strange place. I mean, I've been to Spain before, but I've never been to the Costa del Sol. And it was um, just kind of being out of your comfort zone. And then um, the song just happened out of nowhere, which is always like when the best stuff seems to happen is when you don't see it coming. You know, it's kind of like love. It, when you're looking for it, you never find it. But when you when you when you think it's it's permanently left the room, that's when it comes walking back in. You know, or like the money bite of this interview. I didn't know it was coming, and you just gave it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like love. That's perfect. What were your thoughts when you first heard them each take a crack at it? Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny is uh, well, Adam is such a fantastic singer we're both um tenors but we we can go into falsetto we kind of have a similar range vocally so when he came in and sang it was kind of uh it was pretty uh it was pretty intense because he's such a great singer and i was like oh my god he's hitting those notes really good is he doing it better
better than I did? It was kind of <laughs> funny. He brought out like that kind of that that little bit of lead singer disease, as I call it. You know what I mean? Like where all of a sudden you're like a little bit not competitive because obviously I walked away from the, you know the artist thing a while ago. But it was fascinating to hear somebody sing one of my songs and uh, healthy you know, front man I, I go to these places. <laughs> I mean, he did some vocal ad libs that were just truly astonishing, and he's. Needless to say, uh, a consummate uh, sweetheart, just a really talented and uh, down to earth, and the whole very funny too. I mean, he's probably one of the funnier people you'll ever meet. So yeah, no, that was a, a real joy. And then with Kira, you know, needless to say, I think probably because she's done so many period pieces and she's done so many like classic kind of English movies, we weren't sure if she was going to show up like on a white horse or whatnot. And she <laughs> came into the studio like so down to earth and just like very. Uh, hardworking and just really uh, fearless, because I think if you're a, a, an actress and you're not really used to being in the studio and you're used to kind of being in control of your um, your medium, for lack of a better word, because obviously actors are so used to, um, they're thrown into unusual situations, but they've got this craft, if they're really great like Cure is, to, to get them through, you know, because she's so uh, instinctively uh, instinctively a great actress and she came in and she had a great tone and and it was really funny how she was very down to earth and humble and probably about halfway into the first song we were like well look if you ever want to do an album please call us <laughs> did you write those songs with either of them in mind like were they cast before the songs were written or what was the order of that yeah no the, the songs were written first and then um scarlett johansson was originally going to play kira knightley's okay. role and that had changed uh, because of, I don't know if there were some prior commitments or what had happened, but so we had these songs and we had these ideas, but we weren't sure who was going to come on board and if there was going to be any way to find an actress that could actually sing and stuff. So it was kind of one of those things where we were almost like protected by the gods of music or something. Like somebody, somehow we were sent like a, a, a great actress that could actually sing, you know, because there's a lot of really good actresses that may not have that talent, you know. God knows most singers cannot act, you know. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, so it's nice when it can work out like that because there's not too many double, triple threat type people out there. So um, I think that's one of the the real treats of Begin Again is you get to see two people in you know outside their typical comfort zone, but they kind of slay it in their own way. So um, did you get to work with Ruffalo at all? I mean, I know he's not really singing the songs in in this really as as much as those guys, but did you get to meet him during this whole process? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I didn't get to really meet with uh, work with him per se, but he came to the studio once or twice, and that was a lot of fun. He's just uh, so down-to-earth, like just really cool and stuff. And I, I wasn't there, but apparently it was right around the time, I think it was like 2012, so he went outside for a little bit uh, outside the studio, and I, I wasn't there, but I heard that like every... Every every other person that walked by was like talking to him or taking pictures, like yo, and like all that stuff. And he just seems to handle uh, that attention uh, incredibly well. I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like to have, uh, you know, that sort of thing where you go outside and everybody's yelling your name and everybody's trying to take your picture and all that sort of stuff. It seems like a lot of responsibility for somebody, uh, you know, in their. I think he was in his late thirties at this time, you know. But then again, you see people that are like in their teens you know you get kid actors and kid actresses that have like you know 50 year old men wanting to take their picture with them i wouldn't get any of my kids in show business if i ever had any 
<laughs> well, for sure. Um, speaking of show business, the, one of my favorite sequences is their iPods listening to you know their playlist. And one of the songs that comes on there, there's kind of an homage to the Casablanca song, As Time Goes By, Dooley Wilson on the iPod there. Um, what's it feel like to kind of, now, now that you're part of this long tradition of great movie songs, you know, you have Over the Rainbow and Moon River, As Time Goes By, all those great ones. Do you have a favorite of those? I mean, are you a movie buff in terms of movie songs? Do you think about any of these? Oh, God, yeah. Well, I'm an absolute cinephile. I love film. It's such a, an amazing, and it's an inspiring medium. I mean, that's the thing that's so great about it, is that it can change the way people see things, the way they see the world, the way they can see the way, change the way people see themselves. And it can actually sometimes challenge the way people think and the way they act. You know, I mean, that's probably one of the positives about some of these movies, I mean, I haven't really seen it, but I've heard about The Help or The Blind, what was it called? The, the Blind, Blind Side, Side or something, yeah. or The Green Mile. I mean, there's just a lot of movies. Certainly, I mean, I thought The the Butler was an amazing movie, 12 Years a Slave. I like films that either are really entertaining and really fun and funny, or I'm not averse to, and I tend to really love films that ha- are not afraid of tackling difficult subjects and stuff like that. But with respect to um, some of my favorite musicals, I would say, uh, probably because when I was a kid, because it used to get played all the time, I would have to say The Sound of Music, something about those those scenes where they were like up on the hills and everybody's running around and singing. I mean, that was, that was pretty compelling as a kid because what that film did was it equated great music with flying or like f- the freedom of being like a bird or an eagle in the air. I mean, as corny as that sounds, that's kind of one of the uh, earlier memories of um, music and film. And probably the one that shaped me the most in terms of music and film coming together would definitely have to be Purple Rain because oh, yeah. that was a film that had a lot to say about race. It had a lot to say about sexism, misogyny. It, had, it covered a lot of bases in a lot of ways. And, uh, and to have a couple with amazing music was a, uh, uh, you know, an interesting thing to see when you're 13 or 14, you know, because I, I was a kid when I saw it the first time. Absolutely. Well, you and me both on the cinephile thing there, pal. Seriously, <laughs> I love it. Uh, what makes a classic movie song? I mean, whether it's an old classic, you know, Shirley Bassey singing Goldfinger or Adina Menzel last year, Frozen. I mean, whatever style, whatever genre, what is it that makes a good movie song in your mind? Well, gosh, I would say... Well, I mean, now this song wasn't really written for the film, but it was such an amazing, amazing placement, for lack of a better term, was, you know, Say Anything when they played In Your Eyes. I mean, he's holding up the... the totally, the, the, Peter Gabriel. The, yeah, that was an amazing... But I would say, like, in terms of a of a new original piece of music in a film, I would say anything that really kind of marries the vision of the director and the writer and what the actors are trying to convey with maybe some of the spirit of what the songwriter was trying to say and even what the singer was trying to convey. When you can get all of those different, I don't want to say agendas, but needs and purposes and reasons for being, if you can get them all to converge and be speaking the same language, even if nobody understands what each other's saying, but if they're somehow speaking the same language of music, then that, that works, you know, because that's the thing that's kind of cool about music, because it is a universal language. I mean, you don't even really need to... I mean, there's been big, big hit songs that nobody knows what they're singing. Nobody really knows the words to Macarena or to, uh, you know, <laughs> Gangnam Style. I mean, I can't think of... There's been a couple of, like, or Nina, 99 Red Luft Balloons, but a really great melody sometimes can transcend uh, language. It transcends genre. It transcends 
everything. It transcends everything. So as part of you, uh, you know, trying to get John Carney to hold up, uh, you know, a boom box with Lost Stars playing it over you, like, say anything, or you just want to let, let, let John Cusack have that? And... <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 totally. No, that would have been a great scene, actually. That would have been really funny. But you know what, though? <laughs> Those boom boxes are so heavy, and uh, Kira is in such wonderful shape. I mean, those those things weigh probably more than she does. So you know, it may not have worked for that reason alone. It probably would have been Levine in terms of the story. It would have been Levine holding the boombox planet instead. instead <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess instead he leaves the voicemail, or, or she leaves the voicemail for him. I guess so. That new yeah, times, yeah. new times, new technologies. We have boom box, boom boxes with Cusack and say anything, and now we're in iPhone voicemails. Well, you know, that's an interesting point. Actually, that is that, that is odd. How conveying music back way back when was with this huge, huge walking around with like a probably a forty pound, forty pound piece of music equipment. And <laughs> Radio now it's like Rahim, a, you know. <laughs> yeah, now it's on an iPod. They wouldn't have believed us if we told them back then. Or I mean, it's, it's interesting. You got you know American Graffiti. You got Wolfman Jack just spinning tunes over the radio and these hot hot rods. And now you have Ruffalo listening to iPod tunes. You know, it's it's funny how movies can reflect that. Um, so one more question then. You just performed publicly um, at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And there was a little. Little thing recently, I think that after the Hollywood Film Awards or something, yeah, we did a couple of songs. Quincy Jones introduced us, which was beyond a, an honor because he's like the greatest living record producer. So I was like, I was like, I can die and go to heaven now for sure. Yeah, for sure. So what I wanted to ask you off of that, springboarding off of that, um, going forward with award season, if uh, Lost Stars or any of the other songs are, are nominated, um, would you would you be interested in performing, you know, at the Oscars? You know, they always do the big, um, well, Travolta introduced her as Adele Dazim last year, but uh, would, you, <laughs> would, you, would you consider something like that? Would you be honored? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd be totally open to performing with Kira and Adam. I just don't know if their security would let me close enough, you know. <laughs> No, no, no. But in all seriousness, no, I think um, I, if that all comes together, probably because Adam did such a mind-blowing version in the film, he'd probably be uh, an amazing, uh, amazing ambassador for that. But if he wanted me to sing backgrounds, I'd, I'd be up for it. Not turning that down. Hey, Greg, thanks so much for talking. It was great. I could have probably talked for hours, but I, I really do appreciate it. Oh, likewise, Jason. Yeah, let's do it sometime down the line. You know, hopefully if all this stuff comes together, there'll be more reasons to, to chat and stuff. I We, we really appreciate the uh, the support and, and all that sort of stuff. So thanks again, and just to, you know, to your peers and all the various folks that have been positive about the song or that you know sequenced it you know towards the front of the cd i mean that that means the world to us so we're we're humbled and we uh we all appreciate it, me and danielle and the whole gang so thanks again and i hope to speak to you hopefully if we get some good news or there's some good things coming coming down the pike hopefully there'll bore, uh, be more reasons to maybe uh continue the conversation and i can bore you with more accolades about how security won't let me go anywhere they're just like you know keeping me at a distance <laughs> yeah we'll track the you know the progress through award season and hopefully <laughs> hopefully keep in touch and do it again awesome partner thanks again man Cheers. hey nice meeting you thanks yeah likewise thanks so much for listening to beyond the fame with jason fraley our theme music is scott buckley's clarion remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.